0: ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in that day, but the laces isn't in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today. And smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The ex-fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know. And I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first. How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z. It's like a gift and a curse. I know the difference between a splitter and a curve, But if I can't put it in the points, man, then what's it worth? I need the truth. I need knowledge. Found this podcast with all of it. But well, what they call it? Turn two. Turn two. What
1: you do? Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Turn Two Podcast. I'm your host Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at m a t t. WI-77-IMS uh, Today we have a special episode midweek We're going we'll to be talking all about opportunity costs And there's not a better guest in the world to have on than the one I have right now You can see if you're watching live on YouTube Or if you're listening uh, re- uh, back on the on the, uh, the podcast I have Mr. Ariel Cohen, the creator of the uh, ATC projections You can find him over on Fangraph, CBS, he's kind of uh, everywhere But anyway, fantastic, uh, fantastic guest, first time on the show Ariel, welcome to turn two, what's up?
2: Oh, thanks so much for the warm welcome, and so excited to be on the show with you. How how are you doing?
1: I'm pretty good. Um, Trying to be optimistic about the lockout situation that they're meeting every day. They haven't talked about the CBT much, which has me worried, but hey, meeting every day is good, right? It's better than not meeting every day.
2: Yes, meeting every day is good. I mean, you know, from a fantasy analyst standpoint, it's not about being optimistic. It's about, you know, dealing with the information uh but yeah of course let's be optimistic maybe we won't miss any time just a couple of spring training games i mean uh i i got to get back to baseball hey my my softball league is playing and we're starting the, the last week in march we don't care about no negotiations we're we're we're, we're on schedule uh,
1: i mean I, I from the beginning my prediction was this gets signed the last week or the fir- the end of the first week of march and Looking okay for that right now because, you never. Know, this things can come together quickly. MLB already took care of, if anyone missed the news, MLB already took care of a lot of these small print back-end stuff. So if this can snowball very quickly and can come together in a at you know, a day day or two. So, um, you know, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it
2: goes. It's, it's about money, right? So if yep. you're, whatever side you're on, you're going to be negotiating the best deal that you can. Uh, and I haven't really seen any big movement on either side with the money amounts.
1: What do you mean? Uh, they're they're constantly moving five million dollars close
2: the other way. Like uh, I mean, right? The players went up the other way. Uh, you know, it, it's it's. I I think I think the the players on the side want to show that you know we're not going to Stanford and we're just going to wait it out. I mean, the owners, to be honest, the owners can wait it out longer because the value of the club is less than the revenue. It's more in their uh the uh the brand value, and if they sell a couple of years later. You know, the, the, the money, the, the name and the company just goes up. So, you know, if they if you don't want to have some revenue, they don't want to pay a couple of players. And it, 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 the revenue they make in seasons is incomparable to the name brand. So I don't think there's a big incentive for the owners to move much. And I, I don't know if the players recognize that, uh, but the players want to say we want our best deal. So this is why we have this kind of fierce nego- negotiation here.
1: Yeah. So I mean hopefully that gets on track pretty soon. Right now we're 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 talking as if there's going to be a season pretty soon because you know what what's the alternative? Uh, no reason to be a Debbie downer here. So we're going to talk about opportunity cost. This is something that I I really hint at in most episodes. Uh, if you follow my article over MNBC MBC Sports Edge by the numbers, I'm talking about it constantly and uh, it's just something that it's kind of has its it's kind of leaves its uh its fingerprint on everything anyone ever talks about in terms of strategy. But it's something that doesn't get talked about specifically enough. And I think it's something that actually gets overlooked when talking about player value projections, ADP and everything, because it's kind of hits on all those. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, so this is, uh, again, Ariel, perfect guess for this. So first of all, opportunity cost. What is it? <laughs> uh, by definition, it's, it's more of a term in economics that kind of is uh, described as the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. So in fantasy baseball terms is you kind of weigh your options in terms of what you're giving up by selecting one player over another. A lot of people make the mistake of just simply going apples to apples, like this player is projected to do better than this play. Uh, you know, we'll get into all the caveats there, but obviously there's positional scarcity. There's, you know, how how strength, you know, how how strong a position is, how strong a statistic is that you're searching for in particular. So um it's also not used for making not only a decision in the now, but projecting future decisions in order to end up end your draft with the pretty much the most profitable outcome possible. Um, so what are your thoughts in general, uh, Ariel on, on how to define that, how to um, how everyone should use opportunity costs and fantasy. And we'll get into like uh, specifically projections first, because that's what you do. Like um, how do you think people should use them in terms of not just looking at how, a player is projected to do versus another player, but how, you know, how this is important to like, kind of look at a, a bunch of different variables.
2: So I think the easiest way to understand what opportunity cost is and how your fantasy uh, team is an economic system, right? Cause that's, that's what it really is, is uh, the waiver wire. <clears throat> when, when you're, when you're looking for a player and it's the middle of May and you say, Oh, wow, look at this player. This guy hit uh, three home runs this week. Wow. His, he, he, he's got a lot of hits this week. He's batting 500 on the week. I think I'm going to add him to my roster. And the question is, is that a good idea? Sure. If you have an unlimited spots on your roster, why not add him? Why not? Right? If there's nothing to lose, then you might as well add him. But the question, of course, is not, do you want to add him? Because there's when you do waiver wire, it's not an add. It's an add slash drop. You have to drop somebody to add the guy. And so you have to make the decision of, well, I have an injured guy on my team. What is the opportunity cost lost by dropping that guy to gain the potential for the person you're picking up? And you know, that's the that's the challenge that you have to make in season with with waiver wire. Is this injured guy gonna get healthy? This guy is underperforming on my team. Well, should I cut him? Is the is the potential gains from the next guy outweighed by losing this guy on the roster, right? That's what you have to make. And you have to, it's not about having a player. It's about having a player minus the other decision that you have to make. So we're now in draft season. And when you're going to whatever spot you're in the third round, fourth round, there's choices. There's hundreds and hundreds of players to take. The question is, if I take a player, who am I passing up on? Um, If you're taking a first baseman Maybe that first baseman has a fantastic value. He's going to hit a lot of homers. He's going to hit a lot of uh, of hits, stolen bases. But by taking the first baseman, it means I'm not going to take a different first baseman. And that has to factored in if you're deciding between him and a second baseman. Well, I could take this second baseman, but then I might get a different first baseman later. And you really need to piece together your draft and think about – if I don't pick this, what happens? If I do pick this, what happens? Because every roster decision that you make in a draft is not just do I like the guy or not? Sure, these are all ball players. These are great players. It's about taking somebody and and not. So that that's the general setup of uh, opportunity cost for you.
1: Yeah, and that, that's a very well said. and it it starts in the first round. It's, it's way too many conversations go on about players taken in the first round. They're all good. You're setting yourself up good, you know, well, kind of regardless of who you take, it's not going to break or break you, but um, one very good example. And we'll get into again, how to properly use uh, projections again, not a versus B. And maybe the best way to get into this is Jose Ramirez. Maybe everyone, I think at this point is pretty much on board with him being like, you know, a top four player at minimum. He's actually my second player behind Turner, at least in, you know, five by five Roto. Um, he is not the second best projected player, uh, because you know, the batting average is kind of not on par with some of the guys you can get there, but he is at third base and he steals bases, uh, both things that are a little more scarce, especially the combination of a third baseman who steals bases. So you're getting a third base, you're getting a, sh- a good player to shallow position. You're getting someone who steals base, which is a, a valuable commodity. And you're actually getting a unicorn in the terms of a consistent player at third base who actually steals bases. So his value rises. Are are there several players in the first round that are probably going to outproduce him one for one? Sure. But if you take the combination of drafting him in the first round versus Juan Soto, a fantastic player versus a outfielder you would get later when you eventually take a third baseman, the combination of J Ram and that other outfielder probably ends up as a net positive versus Soto and the other third baseman. So that's a a good way of, of, of generally summing up from a, from the get go. Because, you know, because a lot of people take Jose Ramirez, they realize why it's an important thing, but you don't realize how many things actually go into the decision because people, a lot of sharp people even say ignore ADP. That's you say that, but everyone uses ADP. You see it. It affects you. Um, Just look at drafts early in the season without ADP versus later, there's a, you know, there's a tight, there's a tight uh, um, min max, especially early in drafts uh, when there's an actually established ADP. Even if you think you're being a renegade and ignoring it, it still is working on your mind. Um, It, there's a certain, it keeps a certain order to things. So it's, it's always good to kind of use ADP to your advantage as well. So uh, getting into that, um, what do you think is the best way to use uh, popular projection systems? Yours ATC is fantastic. But it's even you would say you don't use it like in order. You don't just draft people in the order of like auction value cost. There's decisions to be made. And the same thing with ADP. Um, how can you take that a, like in a roster construction opportunity cost standpoint to maybe use the information that is popularly out there, the the uh, ATC, the bat um, steamer, and then the uh, established ADP, and kind of use that against your opponents in order to you know kind of maybe take advantage of that opportunity cost roster construction to your advantage.
2: Yeah, so ADP. I mean, you know, you see, you say it affects you. Um, it doesn't really affect my decision of what, whether I like a player or not, or whether I think a player is is worth a value or not.
1: It's it's it, more of I mean, it kind of it kind of like controls the the flow of the draft more than people I think give it credit for.
2: Um, I to me, it's more of a preparation tool. I mean, you know, I, I get often like asked the question, "Do you use ADP?" and in in snake drafts, and I basically say. In the first four rounds, I don't look at ADP at all, right? I'm just taking my best available player, or I'm taking the players that I think are going to produce the best path for me to getting value throughout the rest of the draft. In the end of the draft, I'm taking whoever I want. I don't look at ADP at all. In the middle, I I look at it a little bit in draft just to say, okay, well, this player ATC values quite a bit more than the market. Do I have room to wait around or not? Because obviously – if I can get the same player two rounds later, it's to my advantage not to take him now, even though I think he's better. right? But I use ADP more as – and by the way, all the things I described there, those are what's called tactics. Those are in-draft things in when you're in the middle of doing the game. The strategy part to me is more important because when I'm building what I think I'm going to take players, I'm looking at ADP. Okay, if if first baseman – Appears to be a bargain, uh, according to ATC projections, ATC compared to the market, that might guide me and say, you know what, I don't have to take Freddie Freeman up above. Because Freddie Freeman is going roughly where he should value-wise. But maybe there's a guy down low in the in the first basement area that maybe uh, uh, CJ Krohn or Bobby Dahlbeck, if you will, that actually it's a pretty big bargain. I might not have to take Freddie Freeman because I'm going to get a bigger bargain there. So why use the first base position to do that? Right? It gives me a guide to what to what to do. Um, I, I use it to find what I call hot spots. Where are there pockets of players that are similar position or similar statistics that are bargains? And that's where I want to map out. Oh, there's some great second baseman in the eighth round. There's some speed in the eleventh round. It, it, that are bargains, right? I I map out where I think I'm going to get the players, so I have a roadmap of what I want to do during the draft, and then you know up top, okay, if I know I'm taking these players, or I'm going to try to take these players in the eighth, ninth, and tenth rounds, I know to counteract it by taking a certain type of player in the first four rounds, right? Yep. In auctions, uh, it, it guides me in terms of what I think I'm going to bid. I, uh, you know, if the players who are forty dollars uh, are going for fifty dollars. I'm not going to buy those. But if I find pockets of, oh, look at these guys who I value at 20. They're only going for 14. Oh, I think I'm going to play here. I'm going to buy two players of that value. It guides me as to where I think I'm going to play. So I I better prepare myself as to what I'm likely going to do. When I get to it, of course, I have to counter and do the best available, best thing I can do. But it's good to come up with a plan. And that's how I use ADP. And, of course, you mentioned projections. Well, projections are how I get the values. Um, if If you do an auction, you obviously have to get an auction value. Even if you don't, if you do a snake draft, calculate the auction values because that will actually show you the relative value between players. Just to have a ranking of the seventh best second baseman is not equivalent to the seventh best third baseman, is not equivalent to the seventh best outfielder. But if you know that, oh, this is an equivalent of $25, oh, this guy's an equivalent of $12. You get a much better feel for how much more valuable a player is than the other, and then you use it and compare it to ADP, and that sets you up for the rest of the draft.
1: I think, and that—that that is uh, for anyone listening. This some of this information may seem obvious or something that you do. I think, kind of uh, also a missing part is everyone thinks of roster construction. Everyone thinks of position scarcity in terms of like their own individual strategic like advantage, but I think they, they some people fail to actually put them together in terms of when you are making again, we'll we'll talk about this briefly because um, it is the topic was somewhat annoying over the last week, but the Vladimir Guerrero jr's discussion, we'll break it down from just a opportunity cost standpoint. Um, The thing is a lot of people will just take the argument and go Vlad versus the other player. One for one, of course, Vlad should go in the first round. He's a beast. Look at him. And then they'll look at that. And then someone else will just say something about, he doesn't steal bases. And then everyone's like, Oh, who cares if he doesn't steal bases? He does everything else really well. You have to look at kind of everything. And what I was saying before with um, Jose Ramirez is, all right, you're taking Vladimir Guerrero jr. No one's saying he's bad. If you are, you're, you're goofy. Um, But you take him, you're taking a first baseman, a first baseman without steals, Not saying that he's not worth taking the first round, but if you take him, you have to consider, all right, now I am taking the bargain first baseman off the board. It's it's a value move you can't make later. Certainly, you can fill your corner infield spot. It's probably a good place to do it. But then you have to chase stolen bases. It kind of takes other zero stolen base guys off the board, people that aren't going to be stealing bags um, that could be a value later. You're kind of taking them slightly off your board if you need to backfill stolen bases. It just affects everything else you do so uh, you can build a winning roster with Vladimir Jr. Of course you can. Um, it's just a matter of you have to say what is, you know, the what the end game, um, what, what does it add up to? You know, the the person you could have taken instead of Vlad plus the later first baseman or Vlad plus the player you take later. That's what you have to kind of add up. What are your thoughts on that in general? Because it, it got to, into a contentious debate. What it turns out it is <clears> if you, you know, if you're it depends on how you're comfortable doing, but it's not a matter of, I'm picking him cause he's great. It really does set up the rest of your draft and you kind of have to think of, you know, it really affects what you do on many levels.
2: Well, I'll try not to be contentious here. I'm a nice now, guy. Yeah. You should
1: uh, never be contentious, <laughs> but you know, it's you no know, Twitter. <laughs>
2: ah, you know, I to, I just try to roll with the punches and, uh, to, to be nice. And you know what? I don't mind if people want to debate me and people say, I think you're wrong because I, I should be able to stand by what my opinions and I should be able to back up what I want to say. Uh, but your point is right about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, when you're making a decision of do I want to roster him is how secure do we think his numbers are, how much bigger his numbers are than another person that we're considering um, what the difference in position is, what the bargain I can get later in at that position where am I going to get the category? In rotisserie, you have to worry about the categories, right? If you if you take Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who might steal two bases, you're going to be deficient, and the market is valuing steals very highly. You have to overpay in terms of true value, right? You, you, you might have to jump around or two to where a guy is really worth. So, yeah, I mean, if you might be better off, and again, this is for everybody to make the decision on their own, um, I can guide you. We we can all guide you on what goes into it, and, and numerically tell you a couple things. But it's your decision. Bryce Harper, I think, is a better pick than Vladimir Guerrero Junior. Junior. in the first round of a fifteen team league, because Bryce Harper gets you quite a bit of the power, quite a bit of the average, but he also throws in those steals. And you don't have to feel yourself. I got to jump and get a mile straw two rounds ahead, if you have Bryce Harper, because you have the twelve steals. You only need a, another. 15 steals, as opposed to if you take, you know, if you've taken Guerrero Jr., that's zero, you you have, you have to take straw. If you take, uh, if you take Harper, well, maybe you just get a guy who throws Max Kepler steals seven bases. That combination might do it for you, right? Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's about comparing the different things. At some point, though, of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be the guy to take. I mean, it, you know, at a certain point you say, well, you know what? the value that he brings is worth the deficiency in the category balance. It's worth the deficiency in the risk. It's worth the the deficiency in, in not getting that bargain later. And at there, at a certain point it come, it comes out for you. So, you know, I'm not going to say there's a, there's a one, one answer for every person. It depends on your league format, depends on things. If you're in a smaller league, you should be more inclined to take Guerrero jr. Right. If you're in a bigger league, you should be more cognizant of the steals, right? a deeper league, I should say. Yes. So, all those factors go into it. Depends on the point scoring. If you're in a points league, Guerrero Jr. is much more solid, right? If steals are not an issue, there you go. Uh, if it's, a, if it's a, a league that you're having a certain strategy, maybe you're in a categories league head-to-head, and your strategy is punt steals, well, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is enormous. So it depends on the strategy you want to employ also, right? But you, you should know the directionally of how things work, and then you make your own inference on, on where to take him. He's definitely a mid-first rounder, Early first rounder, I should say. Uh, certainly, I wouldn't pass up on Ramirez, Pachette. I wouldn't. I would take uh, uh, Harper over him. Also, Harper's going a little bit later. I take him earlier, you know.
1: And yeah, you said format is such a massive thing, especially nowadays with so much information that's out there. Uh, so many conversations go on. It's always good to r- remind everyone when you're having a conversation what the format you're talking. Right now, we're generally talking five by five. But I mean, I'm in Tout Wars, Draft and Hold, OBP. I have the 101 as the, the champion from last year. I got to pick my. Surprise everyone. I'm taking Juan Soto, number one. Uh, it's OBP. I wouldn't do that if it wasn't. He has a massive advantage in OBP. I think his last two years are like 490 and 460. Uh it 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 makes a difference. Um, but yeah, to to move off of Vlad. And again, there's many ways to do this. And also you have to take a look at the actual um Inventory of possible options, too, because sure, you can take again. This is Vlad, this is just an example. We'll get to every other position here pretty shortly and give you other examples. But you can take Vlad in the first, and then you can end up with Starling Marte with Maryfield, and then boom, you've taken care of the problem. But by taking Mary, by taking Vlad, you forced yourself yes. into taking those two other options. Uh, by, the way, hey. then-
2: by the way, you can practice this. Like if you do mock drafts, or yeah. let's say you go on Fantasy Pros, they have like instant mock drafts. Try going on there with the, the fourth pick, okay, or the third pick, or whatever you think is r- roughly where people are going to take Vladimir. Try building a team with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. after. Try building it with Bichette. See which one actually is easier to build, and see which one gives you more opportunities to branch out later. See which one get lets you get the biggest values later on, and you'll see which one actually works for you. That's really the right way to do it is to test it on there, you know?
1: Yeah, because uh... – yeah. There's the draft goes a million different ways every single time you want to see the best build you can make consistently because you don't want to be like, all right, I'll take this player. Cause I'll take this player later. If you are only look banking on drafting a specific player later and you don't get them, um, screwed (laughs) um so make sure that you know you do have multiple avenues
2: never go for say i need a certain player that is yeah that is the way to lose instantaneously really
1: yeah it's it's bad um so getting into other positions using opportunity cost as an example let's just start with catcher which is usually boring but in terms of opportunity cost is actually very interesting salvador perez right now far and away the number one option on Mm -hmm. most people's rankings because of last year, 48 home runs. He still kept up the average, although he had just like a 40% chase rate, just brutal plate discipline. He's getting a little older. I've seen him go in the mid second right now. He's going mostly in the third round. Uh, You can get some really quality options. A couple of rounds later in JT Romuto around later and Will Smith, who I absolutely love. I think that the plate appearance gap will be a lot shorter this year with the national league designated hitter and Salvador Perez is due for a little regression there, but either way, there's a certain shelf you have those top three and then you kind of have that little Grandal Contreras tier. And then the two guys in Ruiz and Stevenson, who a lot of people assume the NLDH will give a nice bump to. And after that it's pick your poison. If you happen to have a favorite, but there's a, there's a shelf there and it's kind of a free for all where I don't actually mind at that point. I like to get someone in the top group and then I don't even care if I wait for James McCann, but that's personal preference. There's obviously guys I like more than him, but in terms of opportunity costs, uh, I don't necessarily uh, care that much. So, what do you think of the catcher position? Do you think, do you think, uh, in terms of trading in what you can get in other positions? Do you think that the those top three can get it for you? I have a couple of shares of Will Smith because when he falls, I feel that he he is actually my catcher one. So, I guess that in no not a bias it's just the way i have it worked out i love what i saw in the second half last year and he happens to be going later but um just in terms of those top three because they're going significantly earlier than the others how do you like uh sacrificing an early pick uh even like you need like a two catcher format let's say because there's a big difference between two catcher and one catcher on uh, how you would attack catcher in terms of opportunity cost
2: catcher is one of the most difficult things to talk about with opportunity cost And especially in a snake draft format in an auction, it's a little bit easier to do because you don't have to take a catcher in order. You can see where things are in the middle. But you when when somebody picks Salvador Perez, who's the consensus first pick, you don't know how long after him the next person is going to want to take Real Muto and Smith. You don't know how long after him they're going to go down to Grandal Contreras, Varsho. You don't know. And that's a little bit of a problem. Because if you're taking Salvador, let's say, for example, you take Salvador Perez in the fourth round, okay? And the question is, is that a good pick? The answer really depends on whether everybody else is pushing up catchers more or less. If nobody, if everyone after the fourth round says, you know what? We're not going to take a single catcher until the 22nd round, <laughs> right? Let's say I'm giving you the exaggerated case. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Then your fourth round Salvador Perez is the worst pick of the draft. Because you could have had a, a second-round player instead of getting Salvador Perez later or somebody really close later on. I'll do the other side. The other extreme is you take Salvador Perez first. Everyone picks a catcher right after that. Well, well, you made a really great deal by picking Salvador Perez there, right? So it's very hard because you don't know how long the others are going to wait for catcher, right? It's it, It's— And there's really no way to know. You can look at ADP and see what people are going. That's a guide. If you know your home league and how catchers go, that's something else, but you really don't know. In a one-catcher league, um, catcher values are, I find, too inflated in leagues where you're almost better off in terms of opportunity cost just punting it and waiting in your last, last pick, take whatever the dollar catcher is. Because... the catchers aren't going to be get pushed up that much if you're there's only one catcher. 12- and, and
1: and realistically, from season to season, the the difference between uh, the catcher eight and a waiver catcher could be actually be rather small. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. I mean, it, it, yeah. It, it, who cares? Why would I want to take the sixth best catcher when the the twelfth best catcher is about the same? Like, there's no point in using an in-season draft yeah, like last um, year you
1: drafted Travis Darno. Uh, someone else got Elias Diaz off of waivers. Who's laughing? <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, you know there's no point in one catcher league, I find that that's the case, um, in two catcher leagues, in general, and I find that people don't spend enough on it, because remember when you're buying Salvador Perez, you're actually not buying Salvador Perez's stats. You're buying the uh, the privilege of not buying the last catcher. Right, if you're in a if you're in a 15 team two catcher league, there's 30 catchers. Salvador Perez is not worth Salvador Perez. It's Salvador Perez minus the 30th catcher, and that 30th catcher really stinks. It's so bad I smell it all the way here from New York. You know that bumps up what you should pay for him. The opportunity cost of not drafting uh, Salvador Perez is high. Right? You yeah. you you should want to grab him more, even though the stats he produces isn't in line. Um I just did I'm doing a draft slam right now and I have uh I'm the 11th out of 12th uh, pick for my second round pick second second uh pick of the second round I picked Salvador Perez because in that format I did the math
1: the bump is enormous for catchers and I actually have I took Will Smith in the beginning of the third round in that Format.
2: Yeah, I was actually gonna take. Uh, I was gonna take the second catcher right after that, also in the third round or the fourth round, but somebody just sniped uh, J T. Muto for me. The, the 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 thing is that you need to know what the the bump is in catcher. I had him ranked as my eighth best overall player when accounting for the position opportunity cost. So mm-hmm. I, I find that it does pay to bump up. Now the only problem though with the catcher, there's a lot of problems here. The other problem with the catcher is if. Salvador Perez gets hurt, you're now drawing from the crap of the crap. That's a problem, right? The replacement level is far worse. Like if, 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 if your first baseman gets injured, all right, you know, you're getting a crappy guy. But if, you're getting, if your catcher's injured, you're getting a crappy, crappy, crappy guy. So uh, it's called profile risk. It's the risk of when you – every time you select a player, if the player gets injured or underperforms, either one – what does that do to the, your aggregate team's value? It's yeah, very and high for and You can't
1: back them up with a quality option because that is a, a net negative in yeah, terms of strategy yeah. as well.
2: Trey Turner has a big profile risk because if Trey Turner goes down and gets injured, your steals are zapped. If Amandesi gets injured, your steals are zapped. If your high-profile catcher that you spent a lot of money for gets injured, your replacement level is much lower than a different option. So there is a little bit of risk to taking catchers early. But it's up to you whether to decide. All right, I'll, I'll go with it. I'll, I, Salvador Perez, he pretty much, other than that one issue he had where he hurt his knee, he's pretty pretty uh, stable. He catches as much as he can. He's going to DH a lot. So, you know, my, my opinion is, again, deeper drafts. You should want to push up catchers higher. No problem if you want to take him in the third, fourth round. Maybe not the third round for Salvador Perez because you're paying a little bit more for you know what he did last year. But I have no problem if you want to jump up catchers early. In a one catcher league, my advice to you is: it's probably not going to be worth the opportunity cost. Just literally punt and wait and take a guy at the end.
1: All right. So before we move off the uh, the catchers to another position and opportunity cost, a couple of good takeaways. uh, Just to recap, what we were saying is: you're drafting. If you draft a top catcher, you're not doing it to necessarily for just the player. You're doing it for the advantage you get over the rest of the league uh, at a a thin position, and you don't necessarily. from a strategy standpoint it might not be the best to start a run pretty much in any position it's it's, it, but you don't want to be caught at the end of one either. But like uh Aria was saying after Perez goes, you're not sure where the rest of the draft may fall in a standard snake league. That's actually why I've fallen into a high percentage share of, of Will Smith or Ruiz and Stevenson, because there's two tiers for me where most people have Smith as the catcher three after Perez goes. If the other, if real Muto Smith, if they fall, then I will gladly take Smith because he could end up being a value for me. Otherwise I'll wait. um, And then I'll end up taking Ruiz or Stevenson because that's the end of a giant tier for uh, before a tier a drop off for me, a cliff. Um, and you can kind of see how it's going. So yeah, it's definitely a position that you got to see how the draft is going. A lot of people always ask me, someone asked me this morning, cause I posted the Raz slam draft where I took Smith in the third I said, what's a, a good ADP, a good round to take him in five by five. I'm like, I can't really answer that because it depends on how your draft is going. And it's pretty much the conversation we're having now. Completely, completely depends. I could say you could take him in the fifth or sixth round, but um, I don't want to, I don't want to just lock that in in case someone else fell in case, you know, catchers aren't going in case they are going. It just depends. So that was catcher. Let's move on to shortstop because this is another position I think is interesting because a lot of people say third base is a cesspool and that shortstop is incredibly deep where I kind of disagree on both to the phrasing of it. We'll start with shortstop. I don't think it's deep. I think it's top heavy because in in terms of that, I don't mean that there's few players. There's actually a lot of good shortstops. But in, in we're not talking auction, we're talking snake draft. There are a bunch of them, but they all go early. There's no waiting on a shortstop. A deep position, to me, defines that you can pass on one to take one later. You can't do that at shortstop. Everyone's taking them early. Um, by the time you get to, um, you know, I mean, I, I think the last ones I really want to start are like Dansby Swanson and Willie Domus, and that's pretty early for the last of the last uh, that, that I'm really, you know, kind of comfortable starting. So all the good ones go like... T- first five rounds. So yeah, there's a lot of great ones, but, uh, they go and they go quickly. So, uh, how do you like to, to deal with shortstop as far as opportunity costs there? Is this something where you, you feel like it's just something you got to jump early or, um, like how, yeah, how would you like to deal with it? Cause it's an interesting position in general, because it, 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 one second, uh, there's a ton of options on the board. And by the time it comes back around to you, poof, you know, the shelves are bare.
2: Yeah, so you really can't talk about the shortstop position in terms of how do you want to handle it without talking about the other positions because every choice you make about whether you take a shortstop or not depends on what the the rest of the player pool looks like elsewhere. Um, At the very, very bottom, like you talked about top, heavy, deep, at the very, very bottom, uh, because of the utility slot that you're allowed to take any position, the very last player really doesn't matter much between a shortstop, whether he's a second baseman, First baseman. They're all roughly equivalent value. This is very different from about uh, eight, 10 years ago, where legitimately middle infield was weaker at the very bottom, and you're taking a crap your player with your last pick. It's not true now. It's, it, all the positions are pretty much the same. But uh, let's take a look at uh, in terms of somewhere in the middle. So uh, here's what I did for you um, I, I got um, what ATC deems as a $25, $20. 15, 10, and 5 auction equivalent to a draft, right, uh, value. And I just checked at what, you know, at each price point, how many second basemen, how many third basemen are available above that price point. For, for $25 players, there are three first basemen, three third basemen, two second basemen, four shortstops. Uh, I'd, I'd say 12 outfielders, although, remember, you have to take five outfielders. So uh, And, of course, you take, like, one and a half first and second uh, baseman. So the equivalent number would be about four. So at the very, very top, it really doesn't matter. They're all, you know, there's just about the same number of first baseman, second baseman, third baseman. When you go to the $20 range, there are only four third basemen, but there are nine shortstops. So if you want somebody in that upper middle tier, there's plenty of shortstops. You can actually wait a round or two somewhere in the middle to get a shortstop. Like, what's the difference between Trevor Story, Corey Seeger, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa? There's actually not that much of a difference. So, you have, because you have more options there, in general, you might want to somewhere in the middle take a different position because the following round you can take a similar shortstop, right? The drop in the middle is not that bad. When you go uh, – third baseman, of course, is the opposite. There's only four of them, four versus nine. Third baseman, if you want somebody who's good, you got to take them right away, right? If you, if you leave without getting a Devers or a Jose Ramirez or Machado, you're not going to get a good third baseman. When you go down a little bit, uh, little bit more, you see some of the same thing. At the $15 level, there's eight third basemen. There's 11 second basemen, 14 shortstops, nine equivalent outfielders. Outfielders getting a little bit thin. Right. It's even worse at the, at the $10 level. It would be shortstop. There's 21 of them outfield. There's only 15. Third baseman, 15. It, it's very, very thin. Shortstop is really deep. You can wait on shortstops the, along the way. First baseman um, are then get plentiful. Like it, it stops going and then it gets very plentiful at the bottom. There are a lot of $5 to $10 first basemen. Uh, there are 30 first baseman worth five or more. That's even deeper than shortstop. So shortstop starts in the, in, in the middle, goes there, and then first baseman gets really deep. So if you really want to play the value game, wait for a shortstop to some of the middle rounds. Second baseman gets somewhere, somewhere in the middle of the way. Third baseman, go early. And first baseman, you can actually play the really, really cheap game, especially with the corner infielder. You should play the really cheap game. Outfielder, very, very, very thin. You should not wait on getting your five outfielders. You should get them much quicker than you think. Don't rely and say, well, there's so many of them, but actually, there aren't. You know, more than ever, there's platooning, right? People are being platooned. They only get half the at bats, two thirds of the at bats. That's going on more and more. So, outfield is in a 15 team league, very, very thin. Do not wait on outfield. That's why I see the player pool. And that's what I'm going to do for shortstop. I'm going to basically just wait and get something in the middle. I'll get the last one of a tier. I don't mind.
1: The, the, how do you judge that when in regards to a second baseman? I don't know if you did, I mean, the, what you just did on shortstop is very um in depth. So I don't know if you did have something similar for second base. For me, it seems like it's a position I, I hate to get stuck on, but I feel like I love waiting there because um, the, the early, if you know, I mean, Trey Turner's at the very top and then Ozzie Albies is kind of alone in the second round. Then you got Whit Merrifield and Marcus Simeon, but because I guess, you know, I mean, there's, um, you know, objective uh, reasons for moving around player value, like, you know, Simeon his pull heavyweights going to Texas and you can see if he's going to continue to run as much and, uh, and things like that. But in terms of um, looking at possible outcomes, I don't see, I can see him in like a Brandon uh, Lau um, uh, being pretty similar if Simeon doesn't run a ton, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, you have the players like uh, Jorge Polanco, who, was obviously second short. And then you go all the way out to like a guy like Jonathan India, which is kind of where I would like to get my starter in general. There's this big group back there of India and Altuve and uh, Brandon Lau. And there's just this whole kind of clump going in the back. Do you see any advantage other than the obvious of uh take in Trey Turner? Um, overall, do you, do you, do you see a big uh, need to take like the Albies or, or um, Merrifield not saying they don't deserve to be two and three, or or Simeon, you know, if you believe in him uh, keeping his skills. But uh, is that a position where you feel that it is beneficial to take one of the earlier ones? Because I kind of like that's one of the spots I like to wait and take from that large group I mentioned.
2: No, I, I don't see a benefit. Uh, Trey Turner is different because categorically he's just uh, very, very far superior than anybody else. But uh, there's a whole group from Simeon. Lau, Altuve, Baez, Kettle Marte, India. There's so many. I left off three of them. There's so many interchangeable ones. And also the thing about second baseman is there are very few pure second basemen. Almost every single second baseman qualifies in another position. Uh, so you can wait on second base and just put it somewhere. Remember, if you price things correctly as a $20 player, then it doesn't really matter if you get a $20 shortstop and a $5 second baseman or a $20 second baseman and a $5 shortstop. So there's just a lot, and, and it, it's not as deep as second base. I'm sorry, it's not as deep as shortstop, but it's still deeper than the other positions, which is the key. It's relative to the other positions. So you can wait and get value later on. There's no need to, uh, to whip up a top pick, which again, third base is much, much more shallow. I'd rather whip up the third baseman earlier on and get the second baseman when there's second baseman plenty somewhere in the middle for good value.
1: All right, let's um skip first base for a second. Let's go to third base because we've mentioned it a, a couple of times here and you know, both talking about second and shortstop. Uh I agree, like I said before, a lot of people have literally used the word cesspool, and I don't know if it's necessarily there are um very few good third basemen. I think the term to say, or the way to say it, is there's very few third basemen you can rely on. Um, there's plenty of really interesting third basemen. Late the the question marks are just a plenty though on um, whether it's injuries or um, a Eugenio Suarez coming off a down year, uh, a Jan Moncada, Matt Chapman. There's lots of guys that theoretically you could see bouncing back and having a monster season, but there's a massive risk in all of those. Um, we, you, you mentioned the, uh, the obvious, uh, the J-Ram, the Machado, the Devers. After that, you got like Austin Riley. Um, and then you have that kind of tier of, I don't know what to do with like Bregman and Rendon. They kind of have their own question marks too. And right in the middle there is Nolan Arenado, where his profile isn't necessarily much better than too many of the guys going behind him. I in actually in the uh in the uh, by the numbers article I compared him with Josh Donaldson. We know the reasons why he's going late. You know he's he's not the bringer of rain as much as the bringer of calf tightness at this point. But the, you know if if he gets enough games, he could certainly match Arenado pretty easily. So just in terms of Arenado as as an interesting person, where I see him bounce around a lot. Where do you kind of have him because? He's going early enough where you really do have an interesting opportunity cost where you're passing up on a lot of interesting options to take him. Whereas I don't think his ceiling, his ceiling is like very likely to be surpassed by at least a few options behind him. The gamble is, you don't know who the heck they're going to be in a draft. So you can easily strike out on that. So yeah. What are your thoughts on Arenado? Because I kind of single him out as someone where, um, as far as opportunity costs, which we're talking about, he is uh, he's an interesting player.
2: I mean, you never want to feel that you have to take a guy because the position is thin. Um, it's just if you if you if the position is thin, if if there's no re- replacement level adjustment, which I'm telling you there isn't, meaning a one dollar third baseman is same as a one dollar second baseman. So if all else fails, just take the last third baseman and you'll be okay, right? It's it's not a catcher, right? Uh, and it's going to be better than an outfielder because the outfielders have the platoon issues. So if you had a, a guy who has a job and he's valued at the very bottom in your player pool. I'm fine with taking that as third baseman. I don't need to push up value to get Arenado. Or well, to I guess, I, I guess there,
1: um, if I can add something to you so you can talk about it yeah. too with your answer, um, then where, is there a spot where you're like, okay, I don't have my third baseman yet? Like it just, if it just hasn't nope. happened that way, is this a position where you're, you're kind of just willing to literally just wait? Um, yes. or is there, is there options in the middle where, uh, that you prefer that you think deserve to be more towards the top than they are? Like there's always the Justin Turners of the world that seem to get disrespected or is like you said, is this just something where, um, you'd rather just, if you don't get, even though it's shallow, is it just one of those things where you, if you don't get the guy you like early, do you just wait?
2: I mean, there are a few third basemen that I think are undervalued at where they're going. Uh, yeah. Ryan McMahon is an undervalued player, according to me. Uh, Josh Donaldson is a little bit undervalued and Justin Turner is always undervalued, right? So there are spots that you get an undervaluing, but I don't think you have to feel that you have to take somebody who's mediocre just to say, I don't want to get the the 12th best third baseman. I want a top eight. Do not think you have to do that. It is an advantage to get a top one this year. As I've mentioned, like getting the Raphael Devers is much better because there are more bargains in other positions. There aren't a lot of bargains in third base. So by, by getting the guy for par value up top, endeavors sets you up earlier. So I would push myself an extra pick or two for the third baseman up top. But once that passes, then you just say, you know, just unbutton my belt and let it fly. You know, it, 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 to, to use an analogy there. Uh, sure. I mean, if, yeah, if, if, if I like Ryan McMahon and McMahon comes up as a, as a bargain later on, Okay, great. That guy satisfies third base. I'll take him for a bargain. Uh, Otherwise, if I don't see one, I'm not going to take a guy and I'm fine with taking the last third baseman. You're going to have some at some point in the game, you're going to take the last something. Right. You're going to have one part of your roster that's like, well, it's not the best guy. So if it's third base, it's third base. I, I, I think that's totally fine.
1: I'm looking up a player because I want to see how ATC judges him before I, I actually see what I'm going to say. Sure. Well, actually, I'll tell the player straight up right now uh, in terms of some of those guys. Like I love Yohan Mankata.
2: Um, I hate Yohan Mankata. I don't let's, hate let's, him. I, I like the person. I don't. Uh, this, this isn't the player like I'm bringing him up.
1: Him. I'm bringing him up to compare him to the other player I'm going to bring up. Um, so I, I do love Yohan Mankata in terms of you look at his skills and I'm always looking at him like, why isn't there an MVP have broken out here? You look at what he's did in the minors. You look at his batted ball skills. You look at his high BABIP profile, hitting line drives and and, and being fast, even though he doesn't steal bases. And I'm just wondering why he doesn't do better. But I will say instead maybe of maybe because grabbing-
2: he's not as maybe good, he's not as good. I <laughs> mean, he I, 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 I think that Mankata is is uh, has been a bust from a fantasy standpoint for a, for a long time. There was one season where he had over $10 worth of rota value. Sorry, one season where he had more than $8 worth of rota value. If yeah, people keep taking him higher and higher. Uh, this I, year, he's actually his price has gone down. Maybe he's par value this year, I think.
1: The reason I, I bring him up, even though I like him, um, he's going to pick 152. And this is what we're talking about in terms of if you don't get the third baseman you want, Wait. I don't think there's going to be a mat. I mean, unless we see the massive breakout that a many are hoping for, there's not a huge difference between him and pick 400, Evan Longoria. There's not. I mean, Longoria. There's plenty of reasons why he's going late. The Giants like to do weird stuff with at bats. He's a little older. He's not as bad as you think. But in terms of you're just saying like just wait to the very end. And in terms of like 12 team leagues, he probably won't even be drafted. But in 15 team leagues, he projected about 252, 17 home runs, a couple of bags. Moncada, 260, 19 home runs, four bags. It's
2: kind of the same player. In, in theory, I agree with you. uh Evan Longoria, particularly, though, has it's more of an extreme. Be...
1: Like I tried to pick someone like the most. Yeah. Extreme yeah. Back
2: and third base. Well, he has a, has a similar profile categorically, but I, um, I mean, sure. With, I have no problem taking Evan Longoria as my last player in a 15 team league. Uh, he's the problem. Is he's on the Giants So he's going to platoon. He also uh, is older. He's thirty six years old. It's gonna be this year, so you know he's not fantastic from that standpoint. But your your point is valid. Like, there's no reason to to spend such a high thing on Mancada um, if there's a, if there is a similarly profiled player a little bit later on. That that piece of advice is totally true.
1: Yeah, and it, like you're saying, in a, in a in a around pick one fifty, what are you passing up on at other positions? Again, this is. Again, apples to apples, those are just player. Uh, for some reason, Longoria jumped in my head because I knew he was going late. Yeah, you're but passing one... up on a lot. There's no yeah, need you're... to push. There's no need to
2: push anything. Uh, uh, people have the have the. Oh my God, what am I going to do at third base? So you got a crappy third baseman like that's that. You're not going to win this game by saying by panicking. The whole here's how to win fantasy baseball. Don't be in a position anywhere where you're going to panic, right? Yeah, set yourself up in the first couple of rounds so that you have much more choices of who you're going to take, and don't come into a position where you say, "I gotta take this guy now." If you're in that position, it means you're giving away value, and that's how to play it.
1: I mean, yeah, one um one fifty. Instead of going with Emancada, you're weak at at uh uh starting pitching. Um, d- this isn't me trying to push anything on anyone, but. I mean, you could be getting like Nate Ivaldi, Sean Manaya, Luis Garcia, Eduardo Rodriguez. That's that's a decent tier of getting your SP like three SP, you know, probably your SP three around then. Uh, yeah, that's a much better plan just for a, one you know specific example there. Um, going back, going back to first base, and that was uh, that was. And by day. the way,
2: uh, you mentioned you rattled off three pitchers in a row going similarly valued. That's what I would call a hotspot. You've identified that at that spot. There's three good guys that are worth it, and here's the nice thing. The nice thing about the hot spot, and and this is important: when you identify three or four players that have same same specs, same position roughly, and they're you know not overpriced, right? They're a slight bargain or so. It's possible that if anyone, any one of those players, let's say somebody loves Yavaldi, he can jump him up around. It's possible that somebody else won't like him, but the probability that all four guys are going to be all jumped up on ADP, which is an average across leagues, is very, very low. Like, there is a very, very high percentage chance you'll get somebody from that group at that price, or even lower, by the way, right, because ADP is an average. You can get a guy later, right, but you'll at least get one. And so if you identify pockets of three or four, the more players you put in the group, the higher probability is you're going to be able to get that value. And that's why it's very important in prep to find those pockets called hot spots.
1: And um that was that was third base. And again, this is perfect again, that's why you knowing the player pool, which we could stop the show, knowing the player pool, and you can do this by a lot of different ways. Just just drafting is the best way. You can do mock drafts, real drafts are better. You want to jump into even like a draft champions or a best ball, something where you have to maybe do in season management. It's just good to get your eyes on the player pool and, and get comfortable with where, and that's the best way to know where to find these pockets. First base, we've mentioned a lot, and this is a position I think me and Ariel love to wait on Uh, from an opportunity cost standpoint is actually hilarious because there's like several mini tiers where you have to make a decision. Like, sorry, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We already talked about. He's in a tier by himself in round one. What do you have to give up in order to draft him? Should I just wait till round two to draft Freddie Freeman, who's kind of in a tier by himself in round two? What do you have to give up in order to get him? Or should I wait for the tier three where Goldschmidt Olsen and Alonzo are waiting? Alonzo kind of underrated a little bit, but still going significantly earlier with the rest. But what are you giving up to take one of them? Should you just wait to Jose Abreu? Who's kind of in his own little mini tier by himself, or do you wait for the glob of talent? Like several picks, several rounds later where you have the Reese Hoskins, the Josh Bells, the Jared Walsh, CJ Krohn, Trey Mancini. It goes on and on. I love Josh Bell personally, but there's just so many. So there's so many different levels of opportunity cost um decisions you have to make. But for me, it all lands with I love the group of later guys. So I will tend to to wait. I have a share of Matt Olson. I have a share of Paul Goldschmidt. Um I like what they do. You just kind of have to determine how the draft's going and and kind of what yeah. you want to do. I do a lot of drafts though. So Um, diversifying shares also comes into this, but not everyone plays in a million leagues, so we won't get too much into that. Uh, But yeah, what do you think about first base? Because like I said, it is complicated because there's several stops along the way where you can kind of make a decision of, all right, do I like whether player going? And it really depends on your draft in case any of these guys are falling as well.
2: Yeah. So again, I think more in terms of auction dollars and you should also uh, rather than rounds, but there are a lot of somewhere between No first baseman number, let's say 16 and 30. There are a lot of very undervalued first basemen by like around $5 in auction value, right? There's so many there. And the magic number there is around five. There's, you're almost bound to get a bargain of $5 or more. If you, if you wait that long, I mean, Trey Mancini, Rizzo, Jonathan Scope, Nate Nathaniel Lowe, so no it's terrible batting average, but he's a bargain belt. There, there's just so many guys that are going later than they probably should
1: statistically for whatever Even the bottom reason. of the barrel, or, like Aguilar and Telez are for where they're
2: Yes. Yeah. Aguilar, telez, Christian Walker, Bobby Dahlbeck, if you will. You um, know, I mean, Gurriel, uh, although he's going higher than he used to, he used to go even lower. Um, because of that, that you, you know you're going to get a couple round bargain You know you can get a $5 bargain or whatever it is. The question is, should I take Freddie Freeman up top, right? Because Freddie Freeman is a fantastic player, super safe. He steals a little bit, batting average, right? You're not going to say, wow, I can't believe I got Freddie Freeman. Crap, right? He's he's excellent. The question is, what what bargain do you need to make on Freddie Freeman in order to say, um, OK, I'll take the Freddie Freeman here, even if it's just uh, a little bit overpriced, to give up the, the the bargain later, right? That's the determination you have to make. If you're up to, to Jose Abreu and he's going a couple dollars less, half a round, a round, well, you can get a half a round bargain on Jose Abreu. If you give that up, you can probably get a three round bargain on somebody else later on. So that's really the question you need to go. And at a certain point, he's going to drop far enough where you'll say, what the heck? I'll just take this uh, you know, round and a half value on Jose Abreu. That's going to be more than getting whatever it is on a crappier player. But if it's par value, if you're getting Jose Abreu at where he should go, well, then you're giving up a bargain. So you always have to make that the tr- it's, uh, it's opportunity cost, right? I'm giving up a potential bargain later. So what kind of bargain do I need to give up up top? Um, and for me, I find Jose Abreu this year that the answer is no. Usually I, I've been taking him the last five years in a row. But not this year. I don't think he's a bargain. Matt Olson, Pete Alonzo, Goldschmidt. Depends on every draft. I've drafted Olsen. Uh some of them I well, Pete Alonso goes in the early third round.
1: No, I don't want to take it. It's kind of like catcher, right? It's that three group. It's kind of like uh, when Sal goes, when do the other two go? It's and these guys can go in any order. If once one sure. goes, the other two seem to go typically, but it, it ranges so much. Yeah. The point is that
2: that, you know, if if they fall far enough, then mm-hmm. it's worth jumping in in that tier. And from just from practice for myself, mm-hmm. I find that if yes or no, like I've had drafts, I've seen drafts where, yeah, it makes sense to take him and where it's no, he doesn't. It, it, so you don't know what you, you don't know what you're going to get until you get into the draft. I found that Ryan Mountcastle usually is a bargain. He goes a little bit later than he should, right? So you plan out, and if you take a look at how people are drafting, you can get a feel for what's the, what's the probability I'm going to get a bargain somewhere, and then you can map out what you really think you're going to get. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, DJ who that area, I don't think you're getting a bargain. Votto, you're paying for last year's great production. So that tier, I think you're not getting a bargain. Um, I wouldn't overpay for that. Um, you pick your spots and on where you're going to go. So far, I find I found myself maybe getting a Goldschmidt, Alonzo Olsen. Otherwise, I'm dropping pretty much far down to the tier of scope, Nathaniel low, or even lower to the Aguiar tier that you mentioned. That's how I've seen it this year.
1: So, yeah, I mean, first base is the best possible discussion for opportunity cost because we mentioned the, the conversation in the beginning with Vlad is an extreme, uh, taking whether or not to take Freeman because there's so many – like you pass on Vlad because you, you like that tier of Goldschmidt, Olsen, and Alonso. If you don't get the value you're searching for, there was such a big pass. tier before because yeah. we're saying like you're not boxing yourself in. You're like, I have to take the you know I'm, – I'm waiting for this one guy. There's so many. There's so many. So that's why it makes it it's, – it's such a default um, it's, area where should, it's, it's easy to make that decision. Yeah,
2: you should come to the draft and say, don't I have to take one of these guys. Take if, the, if it drops to X level. You know, if it goes to fourth round, then take. And then you have your plan B. If you pass, take this group if it drops to this level. And just set points for each tier as, okay, I'll take one if it if it drops to this. If not, just remember, you can always get the last person in the draft. It, that's always a possibility. You can take three first basemen. You can take two first basemen and a third baseman as your last three picks. You could. It's possible. Yep.
1: Uh, and that was – um And that was first base talk about outfield here shortly. Um, There's too many outfielders. So I kind of narrowed this down into my uh, discount doppelgangers uh, that I've been doing my series on. I'm going to name three players. There's an obvious reason. One player is being drafted in front of the other being drafted in front of the other due to upside and safety and other things. But in the end, I wouldn't be shocked if it shook out that all players were kind of close in terms of overall five by five value. And those three players are Randy Rosarina being the premier guy, Trent Grisham being the middle tier. And then Robbie Grossman being the later tier. Randy Rosarina obviously has the the highest ceiling. Uh, We could see him breaking out the underlying peripherals suggest that that may not happen. He could actually get a little worse, but again, he does have the ceiling. Trent Grisham, everyone believes in what happened in 2020. Uh, He was injured a lot last year. We could see a bounce back there. There's a reason he's being drafted where he is. And then Robbie Grossman, um, lack of track record. Uh, We don't know if he'll continue to do certain things. Did he just have a career year? But in terms of actual theoretical production and projections, they're kind of similar players. So in terms of opportunity costs, I just bring up these three where um, I guess I want to get your opinion, Ariel, on, you know, this kind of, you know, you can do this with anyone. You can do it with different statistics. These guys happen to be twenty twenty ish guys, so I picked them as an example. But yeah, you know, what are your thoughts on these guys? Because they're going very far apart in terms in uh, snake drafts. But like I said, um, there's certainly a narrative where they're they could all shake out very similarly.
2: Yeah. So as far as those three go, Orozarena, Grisham, and Grossman. So here are my thoughts on them. Uh, which one? Let me ask you. Which one you think is the highest projected batting average of the three?
1: Oh. Batting average? I would s I would say probably a Rosarina.
2: Correct. It is a Rosarina. Which one has the highest projected strikeout rate? Jeez. Uh or historical strikeout rate, same thing.
1: I have probably uh well host, I don't mean probably a rose arena still.
2: It's a rose arena. So he's got the <laughs> highest batting average with the highest projected strikeouts. Something doesn't seem right, right? Um <laughs> I do. I, I. I. think I do not really fully believe in Orozarena, uh as far as far as batting average because that strikeout rate. I mean, he had a 28% strikeout rate last year, 29% strikeout rate in 2020. That's a lot. Um, that really tells me that Trent Grisham, who, you know, we're talking a 250s average. I mean, Aroserina. I it. It's not going to be all that far away. We're talking maybe 10 points away at best. Uh, I, I think that Rosarina is a little bit more risky than most. And he's going ridiculously early. He's going in the fourth round. Um, I think that's way too high for his value. Trent Grisham, to me, is fairly priced. I think he has potential to be better. Remember, projections are going on what he did last year. And he was great for the first month. And then he stunk. Projections take into account all of that. Um, and I think the stunk part was more injury-related than anything else. Mm-hmm. I think the Padres like him, and they want to put him as the leadoff batter. He's going to get a lot of runs when you're batting in front of those Machado and Tatis guys. So I kind of like Grisham as a big runs guy. You know, in 2020, he was on pace for 113 runs. Yes, this guy is going to, to score. Robbie Grossman, I think, uh, had a career season last year where he was 23-20 and 20 in terms of homers and steals. Could he do that again? Sure. Odds are at age 32, he won't. He does have a very good on-base percentage. He walks at a 13% rate. Last year was 15%. That's a very high thing. And his uh, strikeout rate is uh, projected to be about 21%. So, yeah, he's going to play. I think the the team is going to improve. I think he's still going to return a good value. Uh, but is it going to be an $18 value like last year? Or is it going to be like his projected $8 or $9 value this year? Probably. Um, so between the three, I kind of like Grisham for value. Um, but Grossman is a good option if you get to that point and he flies. He's going to 12th round. I think I'd buy him somewhere in the 13th or 14th. He's an outfield and he gets steals. He tackles a lot of different categories. So he's not a bad pick. A Rosarina is just too high for too high price for me i think you're giving up a good fourth round pick that you could use elsewhere
1: yeah i think the uh in terms of thought process if you're thinking an opportunity cost it comes to a rose arena i think we we agree looking at what is available later he's a pass grisham is a depends on what else you need what else is going on Uh, i think my conclusion when comparing grisham and grossman in my article was why not both uh, you know, if you're, if Grossman's going, is going late enough, or if he went 15, 15, he doesn't need to give you what you did last year. He could still, he could still give you value where he goes. Can, so, yeah, yeah go Can I ask you a question?
2: What's your yep. take on jazz Chisholm? Cause jazz Chisholm, this look at his statistics. It's not all that different from let's say Grisham or Grossman or any one of those guys, right? He's going the fifth round. Why would you take Chisholm when you can get Robbie Grossman a good seven, eight rounds later?
1: Yeah, I, uh, ch- I mean, I've I've said this a lot on my different shows. Uh, Chaz Chisholm is just someone I'm not even. I don't want to say he's off my board, but he, I think he is. Um, he is young, and his I always say his biggest flaw is always showcased as a plus when they show that J- Jacob Degrom fastball. I always say this guy's the Kit Keller of fantasy baseball. He chases high fastballs in a bad way. I think that there's more of a chance of him taking a step backward than a step forward. I would think from a dynasty standpoint, you're hoping to see incremental improvement in his plate discipline rather than a breakout this year. Uh, If you want to take a shot on a, on a, on a rookie or a sophomore player or something, do it later. I always say if you you know O'Neill Cruz is being drafted based on one batted ball event. He struck out forty percent of the time when he came up, and he hit one ball one hundred nineteen miles per hour. I don't necessarily think he's in the Pirates' opening. One hundred
2: nineteen? We got to buy him now. Buy him <laughs> in early round.
1: No, it, 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 seriously, like one batted ball event. Oh, if he was oh. in the opening day lineup. I like his chances as much as Jazz's, though. Um, like, but for me, I don't. I'll I'll wait on on the unproven stuff. I'm not worried about. I mean, like, you know, if Riley Green makes the Tigers lineup, I, I see no reason why he can't rival these guys production. So, yeah, as jazz, I'm off of that. Right. Okay. I'll, take, I'll, Good. Yeah, I'll take the sure stuff. Good. We agree. <laughs> um, Starting pitching, we've kind of talked about the entire time, but I, I wanted before we got out of here, I want to talk about closers because it's been it's been kind of insane Uh, with at least this is different, though, because NFBC is its own animal. And early drafts are more draft and holds. So for anyone who hasn't played in them, it's you're drafting with people are drafting over 700 players and um, there's no waiver wire. So you have to draft saves cause they're a category and there is no going back for them. So there is a premium on people, you know, have a job once jobs are known and the lockout ends, it'll normalize somewhat. I still think the elite guys will be going earlier in fab leagues or waiver leagues. You can get that on the waiver wire, even though it's expensive Um, And you can afford to move around. So this is also, this is very format dependent. But as far as early closers go so far, it has been one of those things where Hader and Hendricks go. And then there's kind of a waiting game to see who's going to start the overflow of the, you know, the following tiers. And a lot of them were taken rounds three, four, five, six, seven. You know, I mean, it's like there's just overrun and by like round eight. You know, you're, you know, Barlow and Canable and everyone, you know, is, is kind of gone and you're kind of waiting for the David Bedners of the of the world. <laughs> so how do you feel about how closers are going? Again, you kind of are forced into it somewhat in draft and holds because you you gotta get someone, at least one. It depends on where it goes, but yeah, how do you attack saves this year with opportunity cost in mind? And I guess we kind of have to frame this for for a couple different formats.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger issue is the lockout with closers is that we don't really know the, the situation on a lot of bullpens. And we haven't seen spring training, and the uncertainty factor is at an all-time high on closers. Of course, we know there's closer by committees, right? So getting a lockdown closer and knowing who it is is so hard. And so what the draft champion people are, were doing is what you're mentioning is, well, you know, there's no waiver wires, so I gotta take Liam Hendricks, even if I have to get him in the second round, because I need a closer, and he's a closer. And I don't know about anybody. The, the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano. Who, who knows? It could be. It could be uh, Kenley Jansen signing with them tomorrow. Ian Kennedy can sign. Who knows if uh, Barlow's gonna be the closer? You know, you no. Know Ian
1: Kennedy is gonna steal someone's job. It's a guarantee. It happens every year.
2: Um, Rich Rodriguez is still out there. He closed games for uh, Pittsburgh. Um, there's there's a lot of closers. There's a lot of relief pitchers left to sign, and people lose their job faster than uh, they can shell out pancakes at IHOP. So you know it's it's a whole uh it's a whole thing there. There's plus of situations. Boston is it Whitlock? Is it is uh you know uh what's the other? Is it Matt Barnes? You know there's there's a lot of situations you don't know about. So the uh, paying for certainty in uh, a non waiver wire league, I, I understand. Um, if you're in a waiver wire league, you have to now calculate the opportunity cost of how much fab are you going to be allocating to getting saves. You could also punt saves. Right. That could be a decision. But assuming you want to get saves and be in the mix, you, do, you, have, you have draft capital and you have fab capital and you have to decide what the best use of it is. Is it take a shot on a cheap closer? Is it go for a really expensive one? It's very hard for me to give an overarching answer because it really depends on what your league does and the opportunity cost in your own league. Um, but in general, I, I found myself, in general, buying uh, one of the more secure closers. I think the Hater and Hendricks price is ungodly right now. I mean, that's just insane. You To me, you're passing up on a second-round batter he'll never come close to earning the value there. Like uh, I'd rather take two shots at a guy in the bottom, give you 50% chance of getting a safe situation, than spending a second round pick. But yeah, I, I, I do, mean, I do
1: see, I do prefer to, I don't have Hendricks or Hader this year. Last year I did. I do see the advantage of, um, and something that some people tend to overlook, which I don't see how the heck you can. I, I love the, the guys that can give you the 9,100 strikeouts and the uh, ratios and saves because at a certain point people are again um i I can't even insult him because everyone knows how good he is um i just questioned the decision phil duceau took will smith atlanta in the third round i believe i'm not doing that um i don't like saves enough to do that uh just because i would rather you know, the other, there's other pitchers where I think that I'm not only can I get saves, I can get elite strikeouts and other things. Um, so I guess that's where it kind of depends for me. I've, I've been getting a lot of yeah. Kenley Jansen early because I like him to get me all those other things I talked about, but he doesn't have a job. So he kind of has this shadow discount where once he signs, he'll probably shoot up. So I've been kind of having him fall. Plus, he happens to be just kind of going at the end there. But so I there's do think there's a lot of ways to play it. There's a lot yeah, of ways
2: to play the closer yeah. wire. Um, You know, I, I think that the best thing you can do is analyze the team situations and see what the overall cost for locking that down. Like, you know, if you look at Boston, I'm pretty sure it's Whitlock or Barnes. I'm pretty sure it's one of those two. Don't think Boston's going to get another closer. I don't think so. They haven't in the past. Um, And, you know, they're not even re-signing out of Vino. So, You know, I I think it's one of them. Whitlock, even if he doesn't close, he's still a valuable pitcher. He's, I mean, he earned $12 last year in in rotisserie formats, and he wasn't really the closer. Uh, And there's word that he might even be turning to a starter, so that's an interesting situation. Um, Minnesota, I don't think they're buying a closer. Um, Taylor Rodgers, probably going cheaper than he should be. That's a good situation. You can back him up with Jorge Alcala for nothing right now. Uh, So, you know, there are situations that I like. Um, if I knew that Toronto wasn't gonna get somebody, that Jordan Romano is a fantastic pick right there, right? If you told me we're not gonna get anybody, that's the pick. You can get him and get one of get it get him and Kennedy just in case. you know, you could do that. Um, you can double down on things on situations. you could there's a lot of ways to play it. You know, you make the best decision out of the money. I just the first two the top two are just insanely priced. And I actually think that like Iglesias Presley, they're also very very they're very expensive. Class A is wonderful. I don't know. Can you throw 100 miles an hour and not have your arm fall off? So far, you got the Grum with issues. You got Jordan Hicks last year with issues. He scares me. Uh he's the right guy if he's healthy, for sure. He scares me. So, you know, you do your best to find the situation that you like at a reasonable cost and and go for it.
1: Yeah, it's it, it definitely has a lot to do with um what's going on with the rest of your draft too. Cause it's, I've seen some where it's ridiculously aggressive and some where they let them slip a little more. Like you said, uh, it, it kind of all depends. I like the idea of doing those combinations that you, you had said of, uh you know, of trying to tag team people. I know I have a couple of uh, Lucas Sims and art Warren. Um, I think that's sure. nice. Art Warren was just kind of solid on his own. I, and also um I like building out some of those middle relievers. You were kind of saying Garrett Whitlock ID people that even if they don't get saves, they're still valuable. Um, that's why I like the Jonathan Loizaga who you know certainly has injury issues, but there, there's plenty of guys like that as well where you can kind of get them where they can still give you plenty of value. And in, in deeper formats, you can always try to, even though there's not necessarily a big path to saves unless there's an injury. Trevor May, fast discount because of he had an offseason, but still he's someone who's probably going to give you um, a ton of strikeouts you know, and, and could have a boost in value and in, um, in draft and holds, you can use them from here and there. Weaverly Trevor speak. may
2: on the Trevor may came on my podcast this year. He uh, is, uh, he's a go-getter. He's like, I'm pitching the eighth and the ninth, buddy. Uh, and I'd rather have the ninth, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about that. So, I mean, that, that finishes up our conversation on opportunity cost. know the player pool. Um, think multiple things ahead because you don't, you know, we're trying to say, do not compare players apples to apples for projections purposes, just because one player is definitely projected to do better in five by five than another. You have to look at position scarcity. I have to look at statistical scarcity in, in categories. You have to look at what you can get later in the draft, how your draft is going. So when we say opportunity cost, look at, you make a decision, look what you're giving up and what you're giving up. How can you rectify that later? And is, can you, by you filling that need later, is that plus the move you're doing now, a net positive versus what you should be doing. Think of all those things. Um, And, you know, if there's a 60 second clock, you got to figure this out ahead of time. If there is a, uh, if you're in a slow draft, you obviously have time to do this. But Ariel, do you have any kind of final thoughts, anything that you think we missed or an important thing to kind of hammer home um, when people are thinking about opportunity costs? Because I think this is something that everyone thinks at least partially in increments, they have this as a part of their process, but I think not everyone truly understands how important it is to think, and this is kind of how you build a winning roster from the beginning.
2: Yeah, I think we touched on a lot of good points today. I think the overarching thing is that it's not about the specific player itself. It's about getting your mind to think about the general, what am I doing here? What are the decisions? The more decisions your mind goes with, and okay, I can do this, but wait, I'll do this. Plan ahead plan what you're going to do. That'll make your decision process much better and easier to follow. Um, it's, it's less about the players that, because remember this, if you play next year, you're going to have a different decisions to make, right? It's going to be a different player pool. If you take the principles and you understand the principles of how to play, then you can play in any year. Just telling you, Hey, Ariel, who do you like better? This guy, or this guy, I can tell you my opinion, but I, I it doesn't help you as much as, why I like the guy, or why it's a good decision to take this guy now versus the other guy. So that, that's what that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, and as said, there's there a lot of these things do come down to how you interpret the data. You can look at something and disagree with a projection or a uh, a player analysis that an analyst gives you. You know, you have to put your own personal stamp on this as well. We gave a lot of examples and how we feel about this. If you see something, I don't know, you know, the inside track, you think Randy or Rose Arena, despite the strikeout rate, is going to be a monster. Far be it for us to tell you not to take him. We gave you the reasons why we think it's a bad opportunity cost to take him where he's going. Uh, But yeah, it's you know, you got to, you got to, you know, obviously we're not shooting down what anyone wants to do. But,
2: uh, and you could disagree, you could disagree about any player with with me or you. Like, if if, if if you think that our argument is wrong or there's a luck or maybe a, we're not citing some injury thing, God bless you. Like, you know, it, it, no, you can always skin a cat a different way and, and you might have more information and do it better than us, for sure. But be sure you have a reason to do it, not just, I like him better. You know, it's, yes, very exactly. often, well, uh, oh, I can't take a catcher that early. Why? Why can't yeah. you take it early? If the math says you should do it, if it's a good decision, you could do it. Yeah. Don't
1: think blankets. I and, and, and this may seem like a lot of information, especially for anyone newer or for anyone that, um, you know, maybe gets nervous and drafts. There's people that do when you're going to take a player, just try to th- look at the players you like at the top of your queue and be like, all right, I'm taking player. A. How does this affect me the rest of the way? Just kind of take a quick look around your roster. I'm like, all right, I, I, I like this player and I like this player. If I take him, I'm not taking him. How am I going to fix this later? Just kind of, do it real quickly. It'll, it'll be amazed. You may, you know, you may change your decision and it may learn from your mistakes as you go. Uh, This may be, you know, you'll, you'll see it's like, Oh, I remember last draft I did this and it didn't work out for me. You know, it's something you learn as you go. It's also something that just comes from experience, but um, hopefully you enjoyed this episode of turn two. I I think this is an important topic. Feel free to listen back Uh, If you have any questions on Twitter, my DMS are always open. I love talking baseball. If you want to ask, a question privately about anything we talked about i'm happy to answer uh ariel thank you for coming on the show and taking the time uh let everyone know um you know they, they probably already do but let them know where they can follow you if you're working on anything else uh and uh you know if you're working on uh, any projects
2: as far as fantasy baseball goes though because there's a lot of projects going on you know <laughs> uh but uh yeah my, my uh address uh, my uh twitter handle is atcny i write over at FanGraphs, I write over at Roto Baller. Projections are up on those sites as well as CBS Sports Line. I also uh, am the host of the FanGraphs Beat the Shift podcast. Just look up Beat the Shift, and we do a lot of strategy. I mean, we talk about players obviously, but strategy, 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 which is more you know the understanding. Uh, this year, I'm working on the ATC projections volatility. So, uh, you know, with with player va- it's, it's value and what the projections are but then there's riskiness of players. And I have some metrics that actually are color, uh, what a player's risk is and how to use them. So check that out. I've got a nice article on baller and a nice video that shows, uh, what, you know, what those metrics are, how to use them. And a lot of like, you know, we talked about Vladimir Guerrero today. I mentioned, uh, you know, in that article, why you probably shouldn't draft him, uh, ahead of, uh, Harper or, you know, one of those other guys. So, Take a look at that, and uh, thanks again, Matt, for having me on the show. This was a wonderful hour. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. thank you very much for coming on, and a reminder for everyone, just because an analyst doesn't Tell you doesn't like a player at cost doesn't mean we don't like the player. <laughs> I can have a pl- I can own a player's jersey and still not want to draft him at cost in fantasy. Uh, so again, follow me on Twitter, everyone. M A T T W I seven seven I M S. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show. I never really I never bothered to subs- you know do this announcement like a lot of people do and I should. Uh, if you love the show, please give us a five star review. It really helps out the show if you can. So uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, so uh, hopefully by then, maybe the lockout ended. Who the heck knows? Fingers crossed, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week. See ya
0: my oh my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in that day, but the laces not hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The ex-fipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first. How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z. It's like a gift and a curse. I know the difference between a splitter and a curb. But if I can't put it in the points, man, then what's it worth? I need the truth. I need knowledge. Found this podcast with all of it, but well, what they call it? Turn two. Turn two. What they do? Win leads. Catch out.